just before we play uh, the start of the season for you, I just wanted to say uh, a few short words for a good friend of ours, uh, Damon Gordon, who who passed away just before Christmas in 2020. Damon, if you've been listening to seasons one and two of our podcast, he's a, he was a production assistant on The Wire and he was a really good um, friend of ours and helped us with a lot of contacting with a lot of cast and crew. And we were due to speak to him for season three, uh, unfortunately, before he passed and passed away unexpectedly. Um, so we just want to say our thoughts are with him, his friends and his family at this time. Um, and he'll be truly missed from, from myself, Dave and Tom. Um, and, and you listeners, I guess, as well, because his voice was really insightful and his comments were really insightful. This show is nitty gritty. This show shows you what the outside world looks like in places where you don't want to go. Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And this is The Wire Stripped Season 3. It does exist. Finally. Yes. Finally. Just thank- to remind you, we are the podcast that goes through each episode of The Wire. We say each episode. It might take some time in between each episode, but we're going through each episode of The Wire one by one. And this is finally season three. Yes. It only took about two years, but we promise it's going to be worth the wait because uh, we have been busy at work talking to the cast and the crew and talking to each other. And it is finally all in the bag, but a lot of things got in the way, uh, uh, personal lives, uh, Family, uh, Kobe, you're a dad now. Well, well, that's it. I mean, three of us. We've ha- we've, we've each spawned another offspring. Uh, yes. Mine, mine's, mine's the first one. Dave's second, and also producer Tom. Um, the pandemic's happened, and also, guys, it just does take a long time to get these episodes together because we want to make sure we get good good interviews for you guys. Yes, but we do uh, appreciate your patience, and we know it's been a long wait, and we really do think it's going to be worth it. Because why don't you tell them? some of the great interviews we've had this season while, while we've been away, Kobe. This season we've got lined up Robert Wisdom, we've got Aidan Gillen, Clark Peters, Wendell Pierce, and, oh, no, I think that's enough. I think that's enough. Yeah, don't, don't spoil it. There's a lot yeah. of good ones in there. But yes, I mean, we got we got Bunny uh, Colvin, who's an absolute legend, uh, yeah. and we got uh, Carcetti, you know, uh, amongst others. So I, for me, the two key players for season three and we are massively excited to share their interviews uh, with you and uh, to share the amazing chats that we had uh, a, a long time ago so a lot of that just to also uh, give a bit of context all of these most of these interviews and and myself and Kobe's episodic chats were recorded pre-pandemic so don't expect mm. a load of uh, references to social distancing and uh, and coronavirus uh, in, in a happier time so it'll be a, a, li- a little a nice little uh, vacation from 2020. <laughs> You probably sense we're stalling now we're not but i think it's time now to let them listen to episode one of season three of the wire and the wire strips this is time after time when you walk through the garden you gotta watch your back well i beg your pardon walk the straight and narrow track when you walk with jesus gonna save your soul just gotta keep the devil way down in the hole he got the fire and the fury so this is season three episode one time after time a famous cindy lauper song 
<laughs> I think that's what it's named after, isn't it? Is it? I think so. I think that's what David <laughs> Simon presume. and Ed Burns were thinking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you look closely, actually, every the title of every season three episode of The Wire is a Cindy Lauper song. Is it? Yeah. That's like uh, Luke Cage season one. Its title was a gangster rap. Oh, is that song. right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, big Cindy Lauper guys, David Simon <laughs> and Ed Burns. So uh, I think the next episode, girls just want to have fun. That's it. <laughs> Cindy Lauper. <isn't> it? <laughs> And we've run out of Cindy Lauper. Song. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, we don't know any more. Guys, please use the burner to tell us. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't flood our burner with Cindy Lauper song. Okay, um, where are we, Dave? Well, we're at season three, episode one of The Wire, and it's good to be back. It's good. To, it's great to be it? back. And we are currently we are outside Carcetti's uh, subcommittee. Yes, we're watching Rawls and. And uh, Burrell getting their ass handed to them by by Tony Gray. And yep. well, Tony Gray's not said anything yet, but Carcetti is. The media are here. Yeah. We decided to come inside because it's really cold out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for the next uh, next episode or two, we'll be inside. But it's good so we can see what happens in these different meetings and be able to We're comment these on deadly them. deadly quiet council chambers. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this episode starts with a, a cold open. Yeah. We've got the towers are coming down. Mm-hmm. Mayor Royce is outside. There's a big ceremony. And. Uh, we follow Bodhi and Poot. Yeah, and Puddin. And Puddin, yeah. Yeah. Don't forget Puddin. And they're sort of, well, they're kind of eulogizing a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the homes or I don't know whether they've lived there, but a place that they've hung out for pretty much their whole lives are coming down. And so, yeah, of course, you want to reminisce about where you had your first sexual encounter. <laughs> yeah. As Poot's, as Poot's, Poot's want to do. Uh, and Bodhi rips into him saying, you know, that's where you got your STDs from and that's why you're walking strange. <laughs> yeah. um, but of course, I, w- I mean, you would do so. The, the guys have gone there to see what, what it's going to look like when these towers are, are demolished by Mayor Royce. Who's yeah. th- this is Mayor Royce's first appearance, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. What did you think about the whole kind of demolition thing? Well, the I thought I, well, it looked terrible, right? Yeah, yeah. Like what was this? Two thousand four. Yeah, it's like a it's like a George Lucas had done some bad CGI. <laughs> it was probably in and around the time of Attack of the Clones. It was, yeah. Revenge of the Sith, yeah. So maybe ILM were a bit busy; <laughs> they couldn't do the the demolition effects on this. Uh, but yeah, it looks it look, looks a little rough. To it does. Fair. Yeah. Um, I thought it was quite an interesting moment that when the the towers come down and this this um huge sort of storm of dust envelops everyone and mm. sort of spreads into the city and and there's this sort of very uncomfortable moment and i thought it was like a really nice metaphor uh for well everything that these towers represent really just like spreading outwards now like there is no there is no central hub like yeah. in, in many ways the tower was containing the towers were containing a lot of the the city's problems yep. and now it's gone out it's gone out to well infect i guess is be an unfair word, but it's 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 a change, and I think the season is a lot about change yeah. and agents of change. Um, and this is you know to start this this is a real statement of intent for David Simon to say you know the, the literally destroying the old and then the new arriving. Yeah, that's a fair point because so we have we see as the season goes the drugs have been spread out across the city, and we're meeting people who we haven't necessarily come across where Bodhi and his gang would have hung out. It no longer exists, so they have to move out. They have to grow up. They have to make new acquaintances or not, and um, or see where see where it takes them. Okay, 
quite reassuring uh, when we're um, back to the corners. This is the voice of Andy Brassel, who is one of the hosts of the Football Ramble and On the Continent podcast and is a huge fan of The Wire. I think um, if you know anything about the background of how it's written and and David Simon and Ed Burns, it feels like a more natural environment for it and anyway. It's almost as if Series 2 is... It's kind of like an offshoot of of the wire proper, really. I mean, it's a very satisfying series, series two, but you do feel that series three is a bit more on on home territory, if you know what I mean. Yeah, season season three, I was definitely like, oh, good, we're back with you know within the kind of communities that I've been interested in from season one. This is the voice of Dave Pickering. He's a podcaster and a huge fan of the wire. Uh, and also the new people that we have, which is mainly within kind of the world of politics in various different kinds of meanings of the word of, you know, not always politicians. Sometimes they're people pressuring politicians or people who are within their communities playing the role of politicians uh, where the, where politicians are failing them or leaders, if you like. Um, but the, yeah, the, the new people, the new kind of focus of season three is politics and that makes it well in my wheelhouse like incredibly in my wheelhouse so i was really excited and loved season three from you know from the start you you knew you were in something great you just couldn't see it we got to speak to the absolute legend and gentleman that is robert wisdom the man that brought bunny colvin to life it's like you know it's just you just knew there was Every character, you know, Bubbles and Stringer and, you know, uh, Wood and all of the, I mean, it's just, man, you know, all the young boys on the corner. I mean, come on, man. You know, there was just, it's, it's just crazy that that these guys sat down and hatched something with this kind of Dickens-like span, you know, Um yeah, that's, that's that's my two cents. So where are we, uh, Dave, in this in this episode? Well, we're going to break this down sort of plot by plot, as, yeah. as we always do. Um, and there's more plots than ever now, so we've got a lot to cover. The, let's start with, the, why don't we start with the detail? Sure. The, the major case unit. Absolutely. Daniel's got his unit. This permanent unit. And they're running cases. Yes. And the case they're running is Cheese and Prop Joe. And that's, Cheese is sort of their main target, isn't it, at the moment? They're trying to flip... Well, they, they 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 want to get info on Cheese because mm-hmm. he's a big lieutenant, so that they can eventually get up the line to Prop Joe and then to Stringer Bell, which you know is McNulty's real goal. Well, this is it. So it's kind of it's it's Daniel's, it's definitely Daniel's unit, but it's kind of spearheaded really by McNulty's kind of whim, yeah, isn't it? His vendetta. Yeah, exactly. And no matter what Daniel's does to try and kind of corral everyone and make everyone face the same way, McNulty's railing against that because he wants to get Stringer Bell. I'm not sure really why. He's got that much of a beef on Stringer Bell. I think because he's the one that got away. Sure. You know, um, season one, he kind of, he, you know, he walks away from uh, from the courtroom. He's yeah. unscathed and he's still running things out there. And I think we see McNulty, particularly in this episode, takes this very personal. I think he's, McNulty's lost all perspective. Mm. It's no longer about whatever their job or the case. He says... He says a line in, later in the episode when he's frustrated, being like, we can't let him, we can't let Stringer Bell beat me again. You know, it's not, McNulty's not <laughs> a not team us, player, no. is he? And kind of never was. He's always got his own agenda. And when quite reasonably, like, Perlman and Daniel say, 
we've not got anything decent for the past six months. We need to like close this down, or otherwise the whole detail's in jeopardy. We need to go into other things. Minolte takes it upon himself, as he's wont to do, and picks out the old case files and just spreads them across the desk. Uh, this is something that happens later on in the episode. And then, you know, he, he kind of pulls this little strand of, hey, whatever happened to D'Angelo Barksdale? I haven't heard from him for a while. Yeah. Oh, shit, he's dead. How did he die? I'm going to investigate because that's, <laughs> that's another way I can maybe get a string of bell. And then he walks out of the room and he still leaves a, he leaves a mess that he made on the desk on the oh, table. Yeah, I noticed that. He's kind of fucked off and leaves present, <laughs> present Caroline Massey to, to deal with his shit. And I'm like, fucking hell, dude. You could at least put everything back in a box, even if he's like higgled up healthy. He really is not a team player. No. <laughs> He'd be an awful co-worker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I loved at the beginning when we've... Um, our sort of introduction to the detail and their work in this episode was this really nice tracking shot mm. uh, along the board uh, while we're listening to one of Cheese's lieutenants on the wiretap. Yeah. I thought it was just a really stylish way to introduce us back into the their space and it gives us, you know, that's that's really clever use of exposition because it, it sh- vi- like showed us their board. Yep. We heard uh, the conversation on the wire. Yep. And it tells us everything we need to know. Uh, and then, uh, but it's funny, they do things like that. And then you've got new characters like Caroline, um, Officer Massey, who get who basically gets no introduction at all. As in, like, we just know that she's a person in the detail yeah. who's good at translating. Um, <laughs> translating street code. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she but- barely even gets a name. So I answered an ad at um, Pat Moran Casting in, in Baltimore um, for The Wire. We tracked down the woman that brought Massey to life. This is Joylette Harris. So I dressed in a green suit with a black turtleneck because that's what I saw on TV as undercover cop. <laughs> and went in and we were about, oh my gosh, there were about 400 women in that waiting room. It, it just might have been less than that, but it just seemed like that many. And... um I remember when I got in the room, I can't remember whether I took somebody with me. No, I didn't. I I went on my own because I didn't know how long it was going to be. I got in the room with David Simon and I think, I think Robert Colesbury was in the room at the time. And then whoever else was at the table. Um, And they had given us the side and the side was two words like that. So I'm like, what? This is all I have to say. And they explained when I got in the room that Caroline was a veteran detective from the Western District. And they brought her in um, because she had an ear for wiretaps. She could decipher the the lingo from the neighborhood. And she was kind of on her way to retirement, laid back, you know, and um, she was having a conversation with... um, uh, what was Jim Presbaluski? Uh, uh, I can't remember his name, his character's name, but um, Pres, right? And so uh, he was all flustered because of something that didn't go right, and my response to him was like that. So of course I overdramatized it, you know, like that. And so David said, "Hold up, wait a minute. She's a mama house cat. This young white boy probably didn't get none last night." And he's all flustered and you are cool as a cucumber. Just throw him off. So I remember I looked up and he said, you, you're you sitting at your desk clipping coupons. I said, oh, I clip coupons. I have coupons in my car with scissors. He said, you don't have to go get them. Just pretend. 
And so he said, just look over at him and just say like that or, you know, respond. And so I, I think I sucked my teeth and rolled my eyes and looked over at Prez and said, like that. And I got it. But Caroline gives this impression off like she's this kind of jobbing detective, right? As in, she's, you just kind of feel like Caroline goes back, you know, it's just a nine to five job mm. for her. And she's a bit like, here we go again. And then just goes home and kicks back and watches Netflix. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. She's, she's not going to the pubs with those guys. She's not no. like putting the extra hours in. She just, I've maybe got the kids, got the family. This is paying my way. And I'm pretty good at it. And to be honest, I can't be asked to do any more than is required. I think so. I mean, we're massively speculating. We are. Because we're given very little about <laughs> Caroline. Remember the place that we were at? Because I'm looking to, you know, saddle up and then put another bat on this motherfucker. He didn't film anything. I'm going to take it to someone who can handle it, man. It's nothing. We let him know. I Saddle up and put another bat on the motherfucker. Saddle up and put another bat. But what was that last part? Man mm. said... He need to deal with me today or I'm going to take it to someone who can handle him. Girl, you do have an ear. So the details sort of, as we've said, they've come up against a brick wall. Um, they, they haven't even heard Cheese's voice. Um, they, they're kind of at a loss and Daniel's is saying he's going to have to shut this thing down. But then they, they come up with a plan. There's this um, kind of idiot, uh, <laughs> idiot sort of uh, guy called Drac. He's yeah. one of uh, one of the crew. Turns out to be uh, Prop Joe's nephew, another nephew. Is um, he another nephew? Yeah, Freeman says he's his nephew. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And Drac talks on the wire, says the word cocaine on the uh, wire, which is just glorious. Muppets. And uh, their their plan is to arrest uh, another member, uh, a high up lieutenant, uh, and then with the aim that Drac will be promoted and then he's their way in. Bit of a long shot, but it's a it's a solid enough plan. Sure. But it doesn't go so well, does it? <laughs> There's a lot of... I like the parallels that are drawn here between how it works in the police force. You know, we do the same thing at the police force. Idiots get promoted all the time. Yeah, yeah. Why not just look at it here? Well, this is what happens. I mean, you see the that that parallel being played out when Daniels goes to tell Burrell what the, what the plan is. And Burrell's like, so we're just going to promote the idiots? And Daniels says, well, it happens here all the time. Yeah. And so it, exactly what you said, he just he just literally laid out what happens, not just in place. You see it happening in companies worldwide. You see fucking America, <laughs> that idiot who's, who's currently running the country. Yeah. Um, so it happens all the time. So maybe their plan was kind of just, but... They but got no. unlucky. Yeah. Yeah. We also find out in this episode that uh, the crime rate is up, I think, 10%, and it gets brought up in the in the council meetings by, yep. by Carchetti. And I thought it was really good how we saw that uh, literally illustrated in that there's five homicides in one night. And we see that the knock-on effect that has. So we see um, Ed Norris picking up a homicide. Yep. Uh, then as he's at one, they get a call for another one, but they're they're short-staffed, so he has to call Bunk at the baseball game to come in. So this, this is like... It's literally visualizing the effect of this increase of, of crime on, on the short-staffed police officers. And why I thought that was because Bunk has clearly had at least a couple of beers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and it's been just been brought in. And that's a better option than having no one. I don't know. It's just, yeah, we're bringing him in. He's obviously been drinking. It's his day off. 
Drunk bunk would be. I'd, I. I would. Ha- I would be happy with drunk bunk working. Working my murder case. Well, it's, it, no matter what state of inebriation he is, he's, he's good police. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly he might be even sharper after a couple of beers. It might probably is. <laughs> <laughs> after he's wet his whistle a bit. Um, but yeah, so he's been pulled in. But at the same time, you have Minolti going back to kind of Minolti's family life. Minolti's wife is there with his two kids. They're at the front of the baseball game. They've got better seats. And uh, Minolti's just looking down at what he could have if he wasn't such a fucking idiot. And he's just jealous of his of his wife's new boyfriend. And he's not even listening to what Bunk's saying. There's a, there's a funny bit where <laughs> Bunk yeah. realises and he says, I'm thinking of becoming a woman. And <laughs> Minolti's in his own world. He's just, it, it, I don't know, that's just Minolti, isn't it? He is that kind of... Well, he's got his laser focus, isn't yeah. he? Like, and when he's got his mind on something, there's not like he's. You can't get he, out of it. He can't get. He can't get away from that. He's doggedly determined. Uh, I I love I love any time um, uh, Dominic West and Wendell Pierce are on screen together. together. It's the best. Yes, they've got such great chemistry. The two of them always have. Uh, so it is a joy. And Wendell Pierce, in in particular, is just he nails the comedy <laughs> so well, doesn't he? And it's so subtle. Yeah. But it was just. Like his storyline, him and Buck's storyline was just like, they were hilarious because it was just like, that's could be a typical person. This here is Melvin Jackson. He played Bernard in The Wire. They they, they want to do things right, but then they end up messing up. But they end up ultimately get the job done at the end. And people don't like the way they get the job done, but the job gets done. Dom and I hit it off right away. Um, and we were off in the hinterlands of America. This is, of course, the one, the only, The Bunk, played by Wendell Pierce. And it was kind of a boys' club every year to get to Baltimore because we would party. And um, being from New Orleans, uh, I like my drink. You know, I like to go out and party. I like to have a good time. And Dominic is just always the bon vivant. <laughs> and uh, we had a blast. So storyline two, we are in the Western and the Western is typified by Herc and Carver and their crew, Carver being the, the sergeant in the unit and also Bunny Colvin. And we start out here by, <laughs> this is a good scene. You talked about Minolte and Bunk being together. Whenever Herc and Carver are together, it's also always great. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah. And Carver sets out this plan to um, get a, pull a sting on a corner drug oper- operation and... He says, "Okay, guys, we'll roll out. They're gonna the corner guys, the corner the corner boys, are gonna send the runner out. Ignore him because he's just a decoy, and we'll stay we'll stay steadfast because the drugs are gonna be around there. So they do the thing, everything they set out to do. Roll up on his corner boys. Everyone's against the wall. A runner goes, and they lose their shit and start chasing the runner. <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes this like almost like Laurel and Hardy as chase. Tunes. Yeah." yeah. Um, and it's always and it's soundtracked by Herc's uh, insistence on listening to the Shaft soundtrack, <laughs> which is brilliant. Who's the black private dick that's a sex machine to all the cheeks? You're damn right. There's lovely. There's a lovely use of this song here. Yes. Because I mean, you know, as we as we've said before, the Wire doesn't have a soundtrack. And it's only diegetic music, which means music that's in the show. 
uh, or being experienced by the characters. But I love how the sound design on the, and this is so good. Like it just comes <laughs> in and out depending on where we are, whether we're in the car or nearby, mm. and it it just <laughs> it adds this. <laughs> and and when it cuts to silence, then and comes back to Herc, it's like it it does make for a really good sort of co- uh, comedy beat. And then it culminates with the corner boy, the the runner escaping, and Carver climbs on his car and berates everyone. Um, he gives this sort of a dead poet society exactly. kind of speech, doesn't he? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, so captain, funny. my captain, except yeah. it, it's I'm going to come in I'm there and c- beat you. Yeah, exactly. And actually, it's funny, the, the tonal shift here, uh, because, you know, this is a comedy scene, largely. Um, but we're talking about them chasing down a 14-year-old boy and kind of brutally beating him. And mm-hmm. we see the effects of that later when they're sitting outside Bunny's office. And even then, it's kind of played flippantly. Like, Bunny exasperates, is exasperated, like, what have we got here? Loitering, you know? Yeah. And that, again, is a bit of a comedy beat. Um, but there's, a, there's like, a 14-year-old boy there with, like, serious bruises who's been beaten up by the police. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just par for the course. Yeah. Which is saying a lot in in and of itself. Well, that's what that's what Carver says. We're going to beat you down. When we find you, we're going to destroy you. Um, and that's what does happen. I mean, taking a step forward to that scene where you're talking about where they've actually caught him, <clears throat> you see uh, Bunny Colvin talking to two new recruits. Yeah. And this is kind of our intro to Bunny, really, yeah. isn't it? So we see him in season two earlier on, and you can see him and uh, Lieutenant Mello, his kind of uh, second-in-command, are there at the scene of um, a kid who just been shot been killed at a, at a shootout um, when he had no reason to be to be killed and Buddy Colvin was berating the fact that you know he couldn't there's nothing they could do about it yeah and that kind of sets the stall out for his character for the rest of rest of the wire which is that one scene or two scenes he has was brilliant the next time the first time we see him here in season three he's again setting his stall out but he's you can see he has been trained to know everything about the police and that's why he's in the position he's in he knows how to command his unit properly he knows how to get the best out of people and he's just like he's probably one of the best police officers in in the whole of the wire yeah it's a good it's a very good scene it tells us a lot about him uh yeah it shows us that he's kind of and that he's also sort of salt of the earth and has a different way of thinking Mm. like how how many how many other police officers do you hear talking about compasses yeah it's like do you know where you are and the guy, he asks him to point north and one guy points up to the sky. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. I mean, with the the comedy in The Wire is so, so good. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, it, it often doesn't get highlighted for that. No. It's very, it would be very easy for this show to strip out all the comedy and still work and still have a lot to say about society. But it's the levity that just sort of elevates it, I think. Well, it's the levity that punctuates real life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because this, this kind of, like, Black humor exists in 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 all Every in situation. all of this, especially in the darkest corners of yeah. the, of the world, and it's found by the drug dealers uh, have it, the the police have it with murder cases. Yeah. It's like and it, yeah, it, you're right. It's that's what sort of makes life life. And when Bunny Colvin comes out and he sees the the um, the 14 year old that Herc and Carver have caught, the reason he's asking what we've got here is because he thinks he realizes it's just been a waste of time. It's just what they've been up to has just been a complete waste of time. And he's right, and this, and and I know I'm hammering home here, but this is Buddy Colvin just getting more and more jaded. He's only got six months left in his career as a police person, as a policeman, and he's just kind of thinking, "What have I actually achieved in my time here?" I think that's what's really kind of stirring his this catalyst for the change for him. He's got six months left. What have I done here? And he doesn't feel he's done anything uh, of and note. It, that kind of comes, you know, it spills out a little bit in the Comstat meeting yeah. then with with Rawls, yeah. uh, where he kind of challenges. 
you know, how do you, you know, Rawls is essentially at the end of this episode saying we need to, you know, reduce our numbers to whatever, to 50 or I don't, I don't know, whatever, Comstand numbers. <laughs> but, um, Bunny challenges him, you know, we can juke, you can juke robberies, you can juke, uh, you know, aggravated assault, assault, but like, how do you tell a body to go away? In the second year, I was on uh, the second year of The Wire, I was doing the Ray Charles movie, Ray, with Jamie Foxx. And um, I got a call uh, from my my manager saying um, they want to offer you a part on The Wire, which I felt was fantastic. It just came out of the blue. Uh, but David and, and uh, Ed had me in mind from the corner audition. And um, even though it wasn't quite right for uh, Stringer, they kept me in their thoughts and um, wound up uh, getting probably what I feel is my absolute favorite role uh, of, uh, you know, since I've been working. Ed Burns. <laughs> Ed Burns, man. Uh, that cat, man. I mean, pfft. I mean, they, he he deliberately, yeah, that's that's a, that's a wire. Um, but he deliberately, you know, is low key, man. But that cat man is invaluable. Uh, uh, the, he would just pose questions and tweak things out. Uh, you had a mind like uh, George Pelicanos around, man. That cat man. I mean, who understands storytelling, but never imposed the big boulder of the story on your head. We just have talks of little details and so the 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 wire works because there are just thousands and thousands of little details the characters bring little little gestures little looks that come out of um you know some fertile conversation that you had with uh you know a citizen in baltimore or and we all lived there at the time so we were we were adopted kids of that town. First weekend I stayed in Baltimore, something interesting did happen. I was in a hotel down by the Inner Harbor, which, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, it's the flashiest part of town. You know, it's where the banking and, you know, restaurants and a business center is. Uh, we got to chat to Aidan Gillen, who played Carchetti in The Wire, and we asked him about his first ever experience in the city of Baltimore. Um, and I wanted to go to a cinema, which was up near the railway station. And the directions I was given were really around the houses. And this guy was like, yeah, you go up there and you go to the freeway. And, and I could clearly see that the direct route was just to come out of this hotel, turn left and just keep going. So I just did that, you know, and that brought us through, you know, a lot of those really... Uh, poor, neglected neighborhoods that, you know, will be familiar to anyone who's watched The Wire or, you know, who lives in Baltimore. And it did strike me that this is something that uh, the hotel industry, at least the guy I was dealing with, was trying to hide. And I did find it fascinating uh, driving through there because it, I'd, I'd never seen anything as uh, as poor, as run down and, and as neglected in America to date.
My name is Kelly. I'm from the Bronx, New York, and my Twitter handle is at Purely Genius. In my opinion, season three of The Wire is the third best season of the show. I love the growth that we start to see with Bubbles, and he was my absolute favorite character throughout the entire series. I think the most interesting thing to watch this season is the brotherly bond between Avon and Stringer just dissolving, but also having full transparency into both sides and how they play it. So you have on one hand Avon who is just dealing with the fallout of Stringer's actions and abiding by street code when it comes to dealing with Stringer. And then you have Stringer who's just hitting everybody with the flim flam and trying to come out on top and just being selfish. And that there was our burner phone. And thank you very much to everyone who submitted your burner messages. We pick our favorites for each episode. If you want to submit your burner message, just go to our social media. We are at The Wire Strips on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and all the details there to leave a message for the burner. Dave, yeah. what's the question for next week? Yes, yeah, so this week we want to know in what's your order ranking of wire seasons and where does season three fit so is it your favorite season is it your second third favorite season and why what so what are your general thoughts on season three and where it sits in the grand pantheon and you'll find as kobe said that the number for the burner is on our social pages and it's an old-fashioned phone so uh, best to whatsapp usually isn't it uh, kobe a voice memo if you can that's it send a voice memo to whatsapp or to our email address which will give you the details at the end of the episode and also they're on our social media right guys before we return to the episode just want to give you a a quick heads up that we have launched a patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped uh kobe tell them what they can win over at the patreon page what you can win well i think first of all we want to say Guys, thank you so much for your support. We've had a lot of people who've got in contact with us in the time we've been away saying, how can we support you? Um, and the thing is, we don't really need the support ourselves, but we thought it would be a good opportunity for you guys to help support other people. Uh, we need some help running the podcast, and we want to make sure the podcast runs more quickly and smoothly and we get the episodes out to you quicker. But also, we thought it's a great opportunity to raise a bit of money for charity. Um, and there's a great charity that's sponsored by The Wire and all of the team by David Simon. It's called the Ella Thompson Fund. So we raised a patron to help raise money for them in the main. And basically, there's a few different stages, and some of the, some of the tiers... Some of the tiers give you access to unique interviews, um, such as we've got a fantastic interview with Chris Bauer, which is ready for you to go and sign up to now. Um, we've got some merch, we've got some stickers. Um, you guys get premium. You've just heard the burner. You guys get premium access to the burner. So if you have any burner questions, you get first You get first dibs on all the stash, basically. You, you got the <laughs> VIP burner right to the front of the queue. Exactly. You get when we re-up, guys. You get the first dibs on the re-up. So please do <laughs> head there. There's a few different tiers. Um, if we do any live shows, we're going to give it to you guys for free. And uh, as as Kobe said, uh, all all of the the money that you guys donate where will be going to either the Ella Thompson Fund charity or to into the show itself. So uh, ongoing production costs. Uh, and eventually, we'd also like to get to Baltimore for season five to do some special live shows and interviews in person once that's mm. possible again yeah so if you can support us guys if you've got some money to spare each month we'll make it as worth your while as possible head to the patreon uh, and search for the wire strips or patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped right let's check in let's check in with the barksdale crew yes um so they're back basically 
Yeah. 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 I mean, they're they're up and running again because yeah. they've got that sweet prop Joe connect. <laughs> they got the good stuff. They got the good in. stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess that yeah, well, the first time we meet them, besides the cold open, is the, is in this committee meeting in the funeral home that uh, Stringer Bell has, has set up. Um, and you've got uh, Shamrock, I think is the guy's name, who's sort of sitting at the back with the... With, with the rules the of rules engagement book, book yeah. Engagement. <laughs> I mean, I just love this. And these are the things you pick. I didn't pick that up at all the first time I saw the show. So hopefully you guys who are listening, you get to see more into how this is playing out. But things like that rules book is... That's how people do it. Yeah. They go away and study that. And then this is how you run a meeting. This is how you chair a meeting. Chair recognises. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... It's so it's it's played for again comedy. It's real like it's almost like fish out of water contrast comedy. Yeah. Like it's 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 almost like a sketch, isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? You would expect to see this in the fast show or yeah. something. It's a what if? What if you had a criminal drug enterprise that ran itself like a legitimate uh, business with chair meetings and it's almost they're, they're almost like shareholders. Yeah, exactly. This is a share meeting and they're trying to yeah. work out the strategy for for 2018, <laughs> 2019. Who do you think's taking the minutes? Well, they're not allowed to take minutes because obviously it's, it's a criminal conspiracy. Oh, yeah. All oh, right. This is why I wouldn't last. It got smacked out of the hand <laughs> last time. Yeah. They're taking minutes. It just has to be committed to memory. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think it's in, it's interesting. It shows that uh, it shows again that divide between Avon and Stringer mm. in that um, Stringer is wants to run a business. He's, a, he's got his economics degree. He he knows he knows. I think he's graduated at this point. Has he has he finished? <laughs> Good question. Yeah. yeah, maybe he's doing his thesis. <laughs> um, he and he says he says in this uh, in this meeting he says the game has changed. It's not about corners, yeah. and that we don't want violence and we don't want to draw him any of this. He's kind of just taken the teeth edge, filed away the teeth of the Barksdale organization, and he wants them to almost move into the background. He wants them to supply. Uh, supply the dealers. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about territory. Um, so their goal is that they're becoming the middlemen almost. He wants a franchise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually, is yeah. And um, and Poot, I think, sort of, you know, stands up and says, "We're going to look like bitches out there," uh, which Stringer does not like. It's, it's interesting. Chair see- does not recognize your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really interesting because I don't I don't remember Stringer getting angry before. Yeah, but he gets angry because. He's trying to instill a new way of being, which is better for everyone if they do kind of pay attention. Prop Joe's behind it. Um, but he gets pissed off at Poot because he doesn't see the bigger picture. Yeah. He just sees that we're corner boys, that's all we know, and we're going to look like twats out there. Um, that's just, and, but String gets properly pissed off, and that's it's actually kind of terrifying. And then he towers over Poot, like a good foot, bigger than Poot, and Poot, Poot held his ground. He is intimidating. It must have fucking shat his pants. I would have, <laughs> I would have He does sit down slowly. <laughs> the um, I think I think Poot's right here. Do you? Poot, I do. I think Poot's on the front line here. Yeah. And Poot's recognizing, you know, it's easy for Stringer, who's being a little bit of an ide- he's either being an idealist mm-hmm. or he's being a fool. Right. As in, he's not acknowledging the reality of the game and the world, and he's trying to bend the game to his own will or reshape the game in a different way and make it a business. But it's not a business. It, it's it's still founded. The foundations of this enterprise is kind of blood and violence. I mean, they are the foundations, but they don't necessarily need to be that way, I think. And he's looking at his numbers, you know, half the territory making more money, profits going up by like 7 or 8%, which yeah. is impressive, you know. 
if this was a proper chair meeting and you presented that to your to your board, <laughs> yeah, they'd, they'd be happy with that. And they've got less attraction from the police there as well because there's no bodies. And this is when when Stringer goes to Avon and you know they're talking about what's going to happen when Avon g- comes out. Avon's definitely on the poot side of things. He's like, we need to make sure we represent properly. We need to make sure we have our territory. Stringer's definitely saying, I hear you, but you know, let's not kill people because that's what brings the police over, and that's why you're in here, dude. And Avon kind of hears up at the same time. He's like. Uh, but I still like the killing. <laughs> you got out the killing. So you do you think you think Stringer's do you, do you buy into Stringer's sort of idealistic vision of this world, or do you think it's realistic? I think it's realistic. I think he's got great ideas behind, and maybe the execution um, isn't going to necessarily work given the fact that people he's working with haven't got the fucking foggiest clue what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Poots really doesn't have a clue and when we go to later on in the season on the, on the police side we have bunny who's an idealist and the police he's working with some of them have are fully behind them some of them don't have a clue what he's trying to do yeah so i think a lot of the time on both sides here again as we go through it further in the series we're talking with visionaries agents of change but working with people who don't necessarily understand the full vision. And that's the hardest part of any sort of revolution or mm. change or mass movement is convincing, you know, changing the minds of others. And I think we're seeing Stringer definitely find that very challenging. Yeah. Maybe if he hadn't set up this rules of engagement system and was able to portray it to these guys in a way that made more sense to them, yeah, <laughs> it would have worked a bit more. Still, I mean, absolute props for just getting them to the point where absolutely. everyone's sitting down and like <laughs> taking turns to talk. What strikes me on this rewatch is the mirroring between Bunny Colvin and Stringer Bell. This is podcaster and wire expert Joe Kiley. Bunny is the 30-year experienced major, calm and patient when addressing his troops. And while Stringer may project a calm demeanour with his tea and sweaters, he also displays impulsive, violent tendencies. He's a criminal looking to turn legitimate, whereas Bunny is a lawman who will see step outside the law. One of the themes of the season is a sincere desire for change. Bunny has it, Stringer has it, Carcetti has it, Bubbles and McNulty have it, but in many ways the introduction of Bunny Colvin is our tragic hero for season three. He's the one player with experience, vision, and influence to change the game for the better. But if the show has taught us anything, it's that the game resists change. So we get Bubbles back um, in this season, and it's a pleasure. Um, Bubbles and Johnny Weeks together, and they've re- they've kind of promoted themselves back to the kind of hijinks that they're doing in season one. <laughs> yeah, I miss the hijinks. <laughs> well, do you remember when last season it was just them running into ambulances and stealing yeah. running supplies, into ambulances, and, is... like wearing big trench coats and putting like headphones into. Yeah, like, come on, guys, like you could do better. Than definitely that. up their game again. They have. So they're back to sheet metal in trolleys. Yeah, it's a classic move. But they're still a bit slipshod uh, because they run into what is a very expensive car, which happens to be owned by a guy who I don't think we knew him at the time, but is Marlow. Yeah, um, Marlow's kind of nonplus whether whether Johnny Weeks gets his head blown off or not. Um, this, uh, that's such a good introduction. To it Marlo. is. What does he say? Like do do it or don't do it. But yeah. I've got things to do. Exactly. <laughs> It's like, that's so cold. It's, it definitely is. And what it turns out in meaning is that um, Johnny Weeks and Bubbles have their pants taken off them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, play for comedy. There's a lot of comedy in it this is. episode. 
And one thing I thought is like, Bubbles has got like strong muscles in his legs. Oh yeah? yeah. <laughs> Dude works out. He does. He, he tell, you can tell he benches. Well, he's always walking everywhere, <laughs> <He> is. isn't he? <laughs> it is interesting though, because, well, it is comedy, but that comedy is tinged with tragedy. And mm. I think it, this, their, their, their scenes definitely finish on tragedy. You get that lovely, like, awful monologue from, from Bubbles. Uh, which is just beautifully done by Andre Royo, where you just see the despair in him. You know, it's the end of their day. He he realizes they've been on their feet, running around with a trolley like idiots. They've lost their pants. They don't have anything to show for it. And it's like, it's it's a really poignant, self-reflective... They're not moment. even high. No. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those moments. It's, is this a rock bottom for, you know, for Bubbles? Mm. No, let's hope so. It'll be better tomorrow, Bubbles. Well, I don't think we're talking about tomorrow. Tomorrow ain't shit. Today, Johnny. Today. I hunted down all that metal, lugged it around like a dog. And nearly get killed over a scratch of metal so that I got to beg for my life. Lost my trousers, man, my fucking trousers. And then I'm begging again for half a shot. Politics. The last, and this is a new thread for the white for season three is is the politics side, the political leanings of it. I don't think we'll go too much into the depth of it because there's a lot of politics coming over. You need a whole new podcast. We will do just the politics. The wire politics. Um, But yeah, no. So I guess the the major introduction here is uh, Carcetti, Councilman Carcetti, played by Aidan Gillen. Mm -hmm. Um, one of your guys? Yeah, one of us. Yeah. Irish, uh, which I didn't know at the time when, when I was first Again, fantastic. I guess nobody knew who he was. No. And uh, yeah, and it's um, very convincing performance, very convincing accent. Right. And we meet him uh, in the council chambers with Burrell and uh, Rawls. Rawls, and they're sort of reporting on the, the crime rates. And it's kind of, it's we, we, we see two council meetings here yeah. within the same situation. And the, this first one... And the, and the the later one are very different, and this yeah. shows what a brilliant manipulator Carcetti is because he's kind of like a bit of a pussycat in the first one. It's very civil, isn't it? And mm-hmm. he's like, okay, does anyone have any other uh, gender points? No, bang bang. Okay, let's go to lunch. Uh, and then we see him going to lunch with Burrell and kind of just trying to, well, he's schmoozing him. Yeah, trying to play him a bit. Yeah, and he's trying to get him a get a direct line to the commissioner and cut out the mayor, isn't yeah. he? Basically, how can I help you? Let me help you. This is real politics. And Burrell sort of uh, politely declines, says, no, I'm not going behind the mayor's back. Burrell knows probably he's playing. It's probably the smart move for him. You yeah. know, it's the safer move. Better the devil you know, really. Well, exactly. Yeah. And Carcetti essentially, you know, punishes him for it, <laughs> brings the media in and just chews him and rolls out yeah. over this over this crime rate in, in the later scene. And it's a totally different sort of meeting. And, um, and this is kind of juxtaposed against the Comstat side of things. So you see the more political side of the police, where I think this is Rawls and Burrell getting their vengeance on what happens in the in the subcommittee meetings. Carcetti <laughs> berates those guys and then they get to berate their the majors and everyone else below them. And I think Shit rolls downhill. Yes. Until eventually Bunk gets a call at a baseball game. Exactly. And has to go to work. Exactly. Yeah. This is this is exactly it. <laughs> 
you've just nailed it. This is the why. <laughs> this is the end of our podcast, guys. I think we, <laughs> we, we did just, it. We, we nailed it. <laughs> we figured it out. Some level of ide- idealism grew during season three. Um, I think he found his political bearings. I, I think initially it was uh, definitely a more self-serving careerist. Um, this is the kind of job, uh, you know, I'm, you know, he was a, a product of his his class or whatever, you know. Um, I feel like certainly in the earlier episodes or, you know, the first full season, it was, you know, someone who's more self-centered than what he became. I felt like he did become idealistic and in, in time that then turned to more compromise, conflict, and a kind of a souring and corrosion of any of that kind of idealism, and you know, ultimately, a kind of cynical apathy set in. But it was never, you know, just always purely that, you know. And um, politics is, is is full of that. It's full of compromise, and you know, even the genuinely good-hearted politicians also play play the game play games and that's what the tagline was wasn't it? it's all in the game and it's not just you know it's that's it's that the you know there's lots of different types of game being played there and these comstat meetings we're not going to go into them now because i think there's a lot of interesting things that come out of them in future episodes but this is the first time we see them and to be honest they look like a fucking if i was a major i'd be shitting myself every single week or every single fortnight this happens i would be absolutely bricking myself it's awful yeah. i think i look we, we've both worked office jobs i think yeah. everyone has that sort of weekly sort of uh all staff meeting weekly kind of like fuck my to, life meeting yeah, yeah, <laughs> stand up in front of everybody and kind of say what say what what's happened this week and what you've what you've achieved for instance <laughs> I, I i certainly have recognized these moments mm. but Imagine facing Rawls in that situation. Oh, good God. Like, oh, he's he's terrifying. And Rawls just knows all the stats ahead of time. If you don't know your stats, which none of them do, yeah, because they're busy doing police work, they haven't got the time that Rawls has to just look over the stats and say, well, he had your crimes up or down by X percent because I know the stats. Um, and that's what he's asking them. He's not asking them the fair questions. He's just like, I want the numbers. The numbers need to be lower. Make them lower quickly. Otherwise, you're fired. Yeah. Uh, next and that's that's pretty much what it is and these guys have they, get, they seem like they're fighting for their lives they're fighting for their livelihoods yeah um it's horrible and we see more of it and it's hilarious at the same time it is great to watch yeah. as a viewer isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i love the way that rolls is kind of like the bulldog and burrell's just kind of sitting back he's yeah you go you go with this one rolls you go with this one you you have your yeah, he's you, in a, you're right. He's yeah. an attack dog. Isn't yeah, he? exactly. Yeah. I can't tell you how many cops have come up to me over the years and say, you know, I work for an asshole just like you. We were absolutely terrified to speak to the real life roles, Mr. John Doman. We got to experience our own little Comstat meeting over Zoom, and it was so scary. You know, that whole Comstat thing where the statistics became king, I believe that started in the, in, in the New York City Police Department. And then one of the top guys in the New York City Police Department wound up moving to Baltimore. And he instituted that whole Comstat statistical review uh, thing down there. And that, and that really became the name of the game. So there was a lot of pressure being put on uh, from, from above to get the numbers right. And sometimes, you know, 
the numbers were screwed around with to make them look right. What I think he's doing is being critical of Marnu Malley's city stat system. This is podcaster and academic Andrew Johnston, our Baltimore expert. So when he became mayor of Baltimore um, after the 99 election, he implemented this city stat system, which was basically a database across all of the police departments that would take all of the, the various crime statistics and put it into one system so that we could de- crunch numbers, basically, so that we could quantify crime really specifically and clearly and see very clearly trends over time. And it bureaucratizes police work to an extent that hadn't been done before. The only other city that had something similar was New York at that point. And now almost every city has something along the lines of city stat. And Martin O'Malley was a big champion of it. So we introduced this kind of feature um, slightly towards the end of last season, the alternative epigraph. Dave, you introduced this feature, which I which I think was excellent. And we'll, I think what we'll try and do is get our listeners to be get involved in this and send us their favourite lines. Yeah, from the good show. idea. Uh, send it to us on on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook um, or the wire strips. Let us know what kind of quotes you thought would be fantastic epigraphs. Uh, Dave, do you want to take your your epigraph? Yeah, my one was from the uh, the Barksdale crew council meeting. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Shamrock who said this: was, "Yo, chair didn't recognise your ass, man." As in, sit back down. <laughs> There was another great one, which which was uh, adjourn your asses or something <laughs> by Stringer Bell. I think that's how it's been written in the Rules of Engagement book. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's reading. so good the way they've just they've incorporated their own language into this. Yeah. it's just it's great. It's comedy. Fantastic. Um, my epigraph was Carver at the end of the chase. Um, at the end of the sting operation, he stands up on his pedestal, the top of a, of a cop car, and screams at everyone around him. He must have looked like an insane person, but he ends with saying, we will beat you longer and harder than you beat your own dick. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> that's police brutality wrapped up in a comedic sentence. Yes, quite, quite, quite profound. <laughs> hey, listen to me, you little fucking piece of shit. I'm going to tell you one thing and one thing only about the Western boys you are playing with. We do not lose. And we do not forget! And we do not give up! Ever! And that is it for us this week. But we are going to be back week after week, time after time, as as is the name of this episode, uh, to cover all of season three. Thank, thank you. <laughs> wow, so good. Uh, to cover all of season three of The Wire. And uh, next week, what's the name of the episode, Kobe? It's called All Due Respect. And we would love to hear from you guys. We always get amazing emails, burner messages, uh, social media interactions from you guys. If you want to get in contact with us, um, email us, producers at thewirestrip.com, or we're on social media, Dave? At The Wire Stripped, wherever there is social media. <laughs> We are at The Wire Strips. So also just go to our website, thewirestrip.com. you find all the contact information for us there. Um, and of course, now we need to say thank you to everyone who's formed part of this of this episode for us. And that starts off with Martin and Sam from Song by Song Podcast for the music, for the theme tune you can hear right now. Yes, and uh, a big thank you to Simon Devro, uh, also known as uh, at Dev's Noodles, D-E-V-S Noodles, uh, who created our lovely season three artwork. Obi Joshua, who helped us out this season on production, support, and research. 
Uh, and to Ben Williams, who, who helped us out with some production support and editing for this season. And also, of course, Tom Wally. You probably heard his voice in this episode. You will hear him in future episodes. He's our series producer and editor. Yes, thank you, T-Bone. Uh, and thank you to uh, all of our listeners. Thank you for again for your patience. And we are so excited to be back. You just heard a stripped media production. <laughs>